Welcome to episode 41 of That Classical Podcast. This time, One Music Part 3. Hello. Hello. My name's Chris Bland. My name's Kelly Harlock. And you're listening to episode 41 of That Classical Podcast. Welcome, everybody. Today, we're going back to the future once again for another episode on modern classical music. Mm-hmm. And what do we mean when we say that, Chris? Uh, well, it's classical music, so modern is a very relative term, yeah. obviously. But we're talking about music that was written in the later half of the 20th century or the 21st century. Mm-hmm. So stuff within living memory, you know? Got it. And with that in mind, the first piece we're going to talk about today was actually written in 1983, going to the 80s, the decade of big hair, bigger shoulder pads. And blue, blue eyeshadow everywhere (laughs) for no reason. (laughs) The decade that style truly forgot. Mm, However... The piece that we're going to be talking about is an opera. So it's called Aknaten mm-hmm. and is by the minimalist composer Philip Glass. Philip Glass. Ah. Used to be a cab driver in New York. Really? Yeah, oh. true story. That's, what a great nugget of info. You are so welcome, mate. Continue. <laughs> so uh, Philip Glass, as I said, was a minimalist. So same sort of style as people like uh, Terry Riley, Steve Reich, these kind of mm. guys. Mm-hmm. Minimalism, meaning that a small idea is repeated over and over again, gradually becomes sort of more complex and thicker and fuller. Right. Obviously, there's a lot more to it than that, but that basically is what I mean. (laughs) No, I love minimalism. (laughs) Shut up. That's basically what it is. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, when I first heard about an opera being minimalist, I was like, no. It's very intriguing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But it really works. I'll tell you what, (laughs) it works really well. So it blends his style. So uh, what we call ostinato patterns, these repeated patterns going over and over again uh, in quite sort of consonant fitting harmony, but meshed together with quite traditional opera forms. There's arias, there's choruses, you know, all your usual opera Mm. stuff, Mm -hmm. but done in this quite cool avant-garde way. Uh, So as I mentioned, it's called Achnaten. Bless you. (laughs) And is one of a trio of biographical operas that he wrote around this time. And he called them his portrait operas. Mm -hmm. So uh, he did them about three, obviously, people. The first is Einstein on the Beach, about Albert Einstein. He loved a good beach, yeah. Loved a beach. The second one's called Satyagraha, and it's about Mahatma Gandhi. Mm -hmm. And then this one is Akhenaten, about the uh, ancient Egyptian pharaoh Akhenaten, it so makes sense. It does they make all sense. loved a good beach. <laughs> no, go. just Einstein. <laughs> right. um, yeah, so just taking on the relatively small topics of science, politics, and religion. Minuscule. Very small. <laughs> uh, so this opera is actually sung in four different languages. So it's sung in Hebrew, Egyptian, Ancient Egyptian, and Akkadian. Right. Which is you don't know. Very old language. Yeah. Uh, plus, one of the pieces is translated to be sung in the local language of whichever country it's being performed in. That's incredible. The amount of work that must go into that alone must be insane. Well, I think basically they've got it in German and English. Got and it. They pretty much only perform it in... Japanese? Not as far as I know. <laughs> anyway, so the piece we're going to be listening to now is from Act 1, Scene 3, and it's called The Window of Appearances. Okay. Uh, so the person you're going to hear singing is Akhenaten. Okay. And he's singing a praise to the creator, so... Long story short, the opera is basically about monotheism, sun gods, 
Yada, yada. Your classic sun god storyline. All that jazz. Right, yeah, yeah. And so the point where you're going to hear this, we're already 40 minutes into the opera right. and Akhenaten's already been on stage for about 20 minutes, but this is the first time we actually hear him sing or make any noise. What's he been doing the rest of the time? Just dancing around? Or just... Not dancing, no. He's mostly okay. been sort of loitering around. Loitering like looking... a dad do well. <laughs> <laughs> like a sort of slightly creepy pharaoh man. Right, hoodie up. Loitering. <laughs> no, no. Very much not hoodie up. Right. Um, in fact, in the recent English National Opera production of this, he's naked for quite a lot of time. Um, well, are we, what, like full full wang? We're talking full, full wang. Vera wang. Anyway, so, uh, yeah, the idea is it's meant to be quite sort of alienating to the audience. He's meant to be this sort of godly, larger-than-life figure. So with that in mind... Usually the hero role in any opera is sung by a tenor, i.e. the higher male voice. Mm. However, here he's a counter tenor. Which, which is, is the, the super high. The super, super high male high voice, males, so yeah. uh, in falsetto, basically. Mm. So when this was composed in 1983, it was actually even rarer than it is now to hear a counter tenor voice. So this would have been rather alarming for an audience. And the minimalism works really well. You know what? We're going to listen to it. Prepare to be alarmed. explicitly told me it was going to be a countertenor I was still surprised when it came in because in my mind Akhenaten is this like tonk fairy man he opens his mouth and he's like no yeah that's the thing he's he's this sort of like weird otherworldly figure and there's meant to be this sort of like otherworldly sound coming out or totally naked a man singing that with his full John Thomas on display (laughs) uh, I would love to have seen that I have to be honest with you I really really would Full disclosure, I'm not sure if he's naked for that particular aria, but he's naked really, at some point. I really hope he was. Um, so yeah, as you can see, it's the that blending of the... That's such a Philip Glass. Philip like, Glass. You probably, if you've listened to any Philip Glass before, I think that's probably one of the most recognisable elements of most of his pieces. Sure, they sort of repeated arpeggios. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but it comes with actual melody on top. Who yeah, knew? Yeah, <laughs> I actually liked it. It was, it was lovely. I've, yeah. I've got really into it, actually, listening to it over the past week or so. Um, I think it's really good music. Uh, so as I mentioned before, the narrative structure of this opera and indeed his other operas, uh, it's not a Mozart opera. It's not sort of got a beginning, middle end, doesn't behave like right. a play. Yeah. Um, and they're so- not wearing clothes like Mozart <laughs> sort of characters tended to do. Yeah. I really feel I should have left this detail out. I feel <laughs> Sorry, you're fixating no, I'll stop far being too an absolute knob. <laughs> yeah, go on. So, uh, for example, Einstein on the beach, um, the narrative there is totally non-linear. It's just sort of stuff happens. There's no real story. Mm -hmm. Uh, Einstein on the beach also five hours long with no intermission. Nice. Bold. What a nice afternoon that would be. Yeah, well, no. So (laughs) audiences are free to come and go in performances of that one, apparently, just because it's such an endurance test. That's kind, isn't it? Um, So similarly, Akhenaten, although there is... You know, broadly speaking, uh, a narrative structure to it, like things happen to Akhenaten 
spoiler at the end, he dies. Whoops. Oh, man. <laughs> um, but it's mainly done in sort of a series of tableaus, sort of like stylized tableaus. So uh, as I say again, the English National Opera. Um, I'm really annoyed, actually. It was just on in London. There was a revival of it happening this year in spring 2019. Oh, you missed I it. I missed it. Um, Damn. But they had sort of choreographed juggling to go along with the like the rhythm of the course music they and stuff did. as well as <laughs> historically <make it> <laughs> very accurate <laughs> balls of all kind flying across the stage oh, don't. so i think it's just a really interesting way of doing an opera but in a modern way yeah. uh it's not a light operetta of the kind that you found earlier in the 20th century it's you know, it's the serious, proper, heavy art and that probably, opera used to be. You're not going to be humming it to yourself afterwards, probably, are you? Speak for yourself. <laughs> so the first piece I'm going to talk about is from the Seven Wonders Suite, and as I'm sure you can piece together, this is a suite about the Seven Wonders of the world. He's done it. Yes. Which Chris, you will name for me right now. Go. Uh, the Colossus of Rhodes, The Hanging Gardens of Babylon, uh, others. Oh, what? <laughs> two out of seven. Must try harder. Um, okay, everyone, say it with say it with me now. We've got The Hanging Gardens of Babylon. Got that one. The Temple of Artemis at Ephesus. Of course. The Colossus of Rhodes. Got that one. The Mausoleum at Halicarnassus. No. The Statue of Zeus at Olympia. No. The Lighthouse at Alexandria. Uh, and the Great Pyramid at Giza, which is actually the only one still standing. Of course it is. Yeah, of course it bloody oh, is. Oh, mate, it's like we planned this to segue from ancient <laughs> Egypt into ancient Egypt. <laughs> yeah, actually, we, did, we didn't. Um, and basically, <laughs> back in 2001, um, a lovely Scottish pianist and composer called Stuart Mitchell said, you know what, lads? I'm going to write music about every single one of these. Uh, and the result is is really lovely. They're all really different. Some of them have sort of vocal bits. They're written to kind of represent the surroundings of whatever mm. wonder is on display. And today we're going to talk about the mausoleum at Halicarnassus, Ooh. right? What sort of instrumentation are we talking about? Is it for it's orchestra? Yeah, it's orchestral. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's quite... Well, you'll, you'll hear in a oh, second. I, I, won't, I won't spoil it for you. But no, today it's the mausoleum at Halicarnassus. And this was basically, if you don't know what that is, fair enough. Uh, <laughs> it was a tomb for a dude called Mausolus and his sister wife, awkward, uh, <laughs> Artemisia. Yeah. I'm going to pick you up on that. <laughs> no, thank uh, you. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Fine. Sister wife but, it is. Um, built uh, in about 350 BC. So it's well old. Uh, and it was in Halicarnassus, which is now uh, Bodrum in Turkey. Okay. Right. And also, the word mausoleum, like an above ground tomb, is from Mausolus. So this. Oh, that's where we get this, that word. Yeah, from. the mausoleum. Of that was the first mausoleum, <laughs> you know, per se. So if you get buried in a what kelium, yeah, um, then we'll call it that. That's it. Done. Great. So basically, it was forty-five meters tall, which mm. is roughly half as tall as the Statue of Liberty and half as tall as Big Ben. Which for us now we're like, jog on, mate. Like that's not really interesting. But back in three hundred and fifty BC, yeah, that'll have taken everyone was like, this is tall. That thing. <laughs> that's one of the that's best seven things in the world, <laughs> right. right there. <laughs> And um, four famous Greek sculptor people worked on all the little kind of sculptural reliefs around the outside, around the outside. Uh, And, (laughs) um, you know, if you walk past it back then, you'd probably be like, well, that is lovely. Do you know what I mean? That is a lovely mausoleum. Sure. Wish he hadn't married his sister, but there we are. You know, that's probably what you'd think. It was the olden days. (laughs) And, um, And so that is why they named it. A wonder of the world. It wasn't really because it was tall, because it wasn't. Okay. It was because it was really beautiful. There were loads of sure. sculptures. Sure. It was it was pretty swell. Okay, okay. So that was a little brief, brief little history lesson for you there. Um, but I only came across this actual piece a few months ago, and mm. I was just really taken with it. I thought it was really special. It's quite cinematic, 
right? It's one of those pieces you start listening to and you're like, oh. And then two minutes, two minutes in, you're like, oh. And then three minutes in, you're like, whoa. Uh, so it's a grower. It's a grower. It's a grower and a shower. It's both. Um, but it does just keep getting better and better. So, um, right. Time to calm down, everyone. Picture that mausoleum mm-hmm. and listen to this. I think that's cool. So hmm. I think lots of... What year did you say that was written in again? 2001, actually. I don't think I said. Maybe. Yeah. So, I mean, there's there's sort of different schools, isn't there, of uh, quote-unquote modern music. So there's hmm. some that are more avant-garde. In fact, the piece that I'm going to go and talk about later is yeah. very, very avant-garde. Right. And then you have pieces like this that are sort of uh, neoclassical in a way, where they borrow a sure. lot of their sound and their idiom from romanticism. Absolutely. So stuff like that is sort of wouldn't have necessarily necessarily been out of place at the turn of the 20th mm-hmm. century either yeah um so they're borrowing a lot of that sort of lush rich orchestral sound you know there's not that much dissonance and stuff going yeah. on uh i like it i think you know there's no need to be avant-garde for the sake of being avant-garde agreed i just thought it was <laughs> just write a nice tune. please just write a nice melody without anyone taking their clothes off um <laughs> but no i just i just thought it was it was worth sharing you know i i heard it as i said a couple of months ago and i just thought it was, it was a bit special and it was mm. really nice which is obviously a rubbish way to describe anything but uh you know it's not it's probably not going to change your life is it but <laughs> maybe not but um sounds a bit like a knockoff howard shaw lord of the rings or i was thinking thomas newman almost kind what of like that? a you know thomas newman he writes for film and he did kind of okay. he did like Shawshank Redemption yeah he did, um, you know sure. any kind of um it sounds very filmic yeah yeah but but really, really beautiful. And actually, um, Stuart Mitchell was just a really, really awesome imaginative mm. composer. I was just reading a bit about him. He did this project where he made DNA strands into music. Ooh. So you could ask him to make your DNA into your own <laughs> personal like song. And he even took okay. Beethoven's DNA and kind of co- like took the code of it and, and made it into, into a piece, a piece. Uh, which Ooh. I listened to, and it was it was really interesting. So yeah, he didn't just write music by the book, which even though he could clearly, <laughs> by the sounds of that one, it was very normal and lovely. Um, but no, he was just a really cool composer. So I highly suggest you do a bit of digging there, and uh, yeah, enjoy. That classical podcast. Right. Well, I promised you that it was going to get avant-garde. You did. You have no idea how avant-garde it's about to get, Kelly. Um, So the next piece that we're going to talk about is by a composer who you probably will have heard of already, John Cage. Yes. So John Cage, probably best known for his piece, Four Minutes 33. Shall we hear a bit of it now? And there we are. Classical music jokes. (laughs) Um, But yeah, understandably, I thought that 4 minutes 33, which as you may or may not know, 
is four minutes 33 of musicians not playing a note yeah. uh probably wasn't the best for a podcast it's no. difficult for yeah. you to to appreciate that yeah um so he was not only a composer but he was also a philosopher basically so he starting from a place of zen buddhism he wanted to oh. re-examine what music was and how we go about consuming it and preserving it so lots of his philosophy was about transforming everyday actions and noises into music um and by doing that sort of questioning the formal construction of music does that make sense yeah cool um (laughs) vaguely (laughs) so yeah as i mentioned it's about uh it's original idea he took from zen buddhism it's about experiencing things in the present moment and not applying any judgment or anything like that to it so Unlike other composers, he's not trying to tell a story with his music. He's not trying to show any particular melody or create anything. He's literally just letting the sounds be and exist. Okay. Does that make, does that make sense? Okay. It's sort of, yeah. So it's removing any kind of like authorial power from it by injecting sort of the main two elements that he spoke about a lot in his writing was chance and indeterminacy is that even a word you betcha (laughs) um it's a very philosophical term (laughs) so chance obviously where things happen he didn't control every sound that happened there was so he would use like radios and the static that comes through radios would happen in them uh in four minutes 33 the chance of just whatever noise happens in the auditorium while the piece is going yeah exactly Yeah. yeah and indeterminacy which here means that the composer leaves certain parts of the piece unspecified okay. so you know in traditional music school you're told exactly what to play for how long sure. at what rate mm-hmm. and here it might say touch radio and give you no more instructions than that and so a lot of it is left up to the performer's uh, spontaneity and creativity and lets both the performer and the audience focus a lot more on the sounds that are being created there rather than it being dictated via a traditional score. And I guess that means that there's a lot of variety in every performance. You're never going to see the same thing twice. Yeah, absolutely. That's cool. Um, So the piece we're actually going to listen to today is called Water Music. I don't know if it's a tribute to Handel's original water music. I suspect it's not. Um, (laughs) It's also sometimes called Water Walk. So... The first time I actually saw this was on um, this is an amazing YouTube video of John Cage on like a 1950s primetime TV show in America. Right. It's really weird that this piece got on there. Right. And the host is like a sort of old timey 50s TV show host. Yeah. <laughs> and he's sort of like, feel free to laugh to the audience. Um, right. He takes it very seriously. I think it's very interesting. Let's see what it is. And basically. <laughs> It's just sort of like really rude to John Cage. Oh, um, Johnny! Johnny Cage! Johnny Cage! Yeah, yeah. And then he he starts doing his thing, and it's really difficult to tell whether it is meant to be comedic or not, because it's oh, sort of... Really? So the piece is Water Walk, and it's him walking around doing all sorts of things, like as in pouring stuff out of a jug of water, putting like a flapping fish, like a toy fish yeah. on the strings of the piano. Classic. He slaps a cymbal onto the surface of a Slap bathtub. Slap cymbal. Uh, he squeezes a rubber ducky. So like lots of <laughs> things he's doing, like obviously are ridiculous. And like if someone did them in another context, yeah. would be funny. Yeah, yeah. But he's doing like very som- somber look on his face and he's wearing a Incredible. suit. Incredible. Um, and the audience is just like laughing at him so I don't, we'll put that really, on twitter we'll then put that on twitter definitely yeah um the sound quality of it is too bad to do it in in uh in this version <laughs> but um we'll listen to a, another version of it now 
Yeah, let me know what you think. So you were talking before about not being able to hum something <laughs> while walking down the street. I had about five heart attacks listening to that just now. I've got to say. Also, though, if you imagine, I mean, I don't think that would ever have been played on the radio back in yeah, the day. But it not. would definitely have been one of those things where before it, they would say, do not adjust your set. <laughs> like, this is going to uh, sound freaking weird and strange. Um, I guess, you know... There's 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 method in there's method in the madness, isn't there? There's there's something to be said for it. You know, it's avant-garde. It's music as performance art rather than yeah. as something you'd like listen to on a Sunday afternoon. There was a nice chord in there. <laughs> sure. There we sure. go. Yeah. Why not? Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I, I just think it's quite interesting as like a as an experiment in the form. So another way in which he experimented was he used visual scores quite a lot rather than traditional yeah. notation. Yeah. So it'd be lines and dots and pictures and words occasionally. Again, these were designed to sort of inspire creativity in the performer and allows for a lot more spontaneity than a traditional score. So it would be every musician's own interpretation of... Exactly, yeah, yeah. Okay, I see, yeah, yeah. To an extent, it's very rigidly codified like he performs it with a stopwatch because you're meant to have like exactly x seconds of bubbling water here and then you slap the fish on the piano here of course yeah Uh, but then as with the chance and indeterminacy i was talking about before uh there's lots of it that's left open to you know individual performances it's weird i wouldn't have it on my own personal playlist (laughs) but we've put it on yours we've put it on yours take it classical podcast so my next piece is a slightly less traditional take on classical music not as untraditional as what we just heard (laughs) i might i might just say uh but it's by a composer called gavin Bryars, big gav gavilar and um if you remember in one of our i think it was the second modern music episode that we did Mm. i included a piece called different trains by steve reich yeah Uh, and that involved a lot of sampling and looping of people kind of saying phrases and words yeah this is slightly similar but slightly different so i'll tell you the the story goes that back in 1971 gavin was working with a filmmaker called alan power on a documentary about people living rough in elephant and castle which Mm -hmm. is a district in south london just down the road it doesn't contain any elephants or any castles by the way to (laughs) anyone that's not familiar with london but there we go so some of the men, the kind of homeless men being filmed for the documentary, kind of broke into drunken songs on camera. So like they sang mm. folk, little kind of fragments of kind of folk music, pop, ballads, even a bit of opera. Okay. Um, but there was one man in the room who wasn't actually drinking at all. And he sang 
a few lines of like a really quite religious song called Jesus Blood Never Failed Me Yet which wasn't actually used in the film. His performance wasn't in the film, but the audio survived. And uh, when Alan Power had finished the documentary, he gave Gavin, big Gav, the tape reels from filming to thank him for helping out. And Gav was immediately drawn to this, I think it was 26 second clip of this man singing this piece, Jesus Blood Never Failed Me Yet. Yeah. Because it was all kind of miraculously in tune. It was consistently pitched and it was really nicely phrased. Sure. And it was just this really kind of interesting piece of music. So Gav looped the 13 bars. It was yeah. 13 bars of him singing. And he was kind of messing around on his piano kind of with it and sort of found a few chords that, that might sound quite nice. Interesting. And he was like, yeah, this is pretty good. Headed to Leicester Polytechnic University uh, to a studio there, copied it onto a second reel. And he was like, yeah, all good. Left it running while he went to get a cup of coffee. And then when he came back, all the students around in the kind of fine art studios of the university had fallen completely silent. Some of them were like sitting alone. Some of them were actually weeping what? like because they'd been listening to this they were all just so moved by this this old man singing and gavin was like right okay this is clearly <laughs> i have cracked it right and he was like but this is a really powerful piece of music sure. that i've got to treat with respect and yeah. i've got to also make it really good so wow. he yeah he added this these kind of gentle beautiful chords underneath this man just singing on a loop for it's genuinely about 27 minutes. And I think there are recordings that are even longer than that. But it, I know it sounds, it might sound bizarre to you now, but the result is like really, really emotional. Uh, and it makes me cry. It makes several, okay. several people I know cry. And the really sad thing is that Gavin tried to find the, the old man who sang it and he couldn't. He tried to find the hymn itself and he couldn't. So okay. it's like maybe the old man even made it up and it was this like original, who knows? I mean, we don't wow. know. But even though the, the the old man actually didn't hear it, the end result, like before he died, Gavin said that it was like an eloquent and understated testimony to his spirit and optimism. And so I just, I really, I, I only discovered this a few weeks ago after yeah. hearing um, someone saying that there was a 12 hour performance of it wow. at the London South Bank Centre, um, where orchestras <laughs> kind of swapped in and out and took shifts Whoa. while this, uh, this, the actual, the man singing was on repeat. Um, and so, yeah, I just had to share it and I'm going to, I'm going to choose a little, little extract from, I think about three quarters of the way into the piece. So, uh, see what you make of this. Special, isn't it? That's really cool. That's really interesting as an idea. Yeah, the um, 
this sort of the repetition of something over and over and over again yeah. till it picks up sort of additional meaning. So I guess sort of mm. with the instrumentation and would definitely recommend that you all go and listen to the whole thing or at least like mm. skip your your way through it so mm. you can hear the instrumentation building and building underneath mm. it. Um, but that idea of just sort of, yeah, poignancy and stuff coming through repetition is quite, uh, yeah. it's quite an interesting idea to explore, definitely. It's really gorgeous. And um, so I, pl- I played Chris. We just listened to several different parts of it. So the, the first, I think, two or even three minutes uh, is just the audio by itself so you just hear this man going jesus blood never found me yeah, just over and over again uh and that was enough to set me off <laughs> <laughs> uh, when i when i first heard it um so yeah and then 26 minutes later you're totally right you've start it you sort of go into a trance mm. a really wonderful kind of trance and yeah everything gets becomes even richer you know this the first kind of strings that you hear just they grow and they swell and then you get some plucked things and you get little taps and you get yeah, I don't know it's um cool. it's really unique uh and I just thought uh I just thought I'd share it and um, there's also if you're feeling brave a version that Tom Waits sings Tom Waits it- yeah. yeah and the thing is it's not even him just singing alone it's like it's the, the old man is there but then it's just him like singing alongside like Jesus blood like, I can't do a good impression um, that sounds amazing so check that out if you're feeling uh, if you're feeling brave but otherwise um, do just go listen to the whole thing I would suggest finding a, a little quiet corner and just listen to it there uh, don't listen to it at your desk at work like I did because then you just start crying and everyone's like are you okay and you're like I'm fine just having a moment with Gavin but yeah please please go and listen to it and I hope you liked it Das Klassische Podcast well, that was our third episode on modern classical music. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. We did enjoy it. Uh, we had some, you know, odd choices there. We got a bit avant-garde in the middle. But, you know, it's a nice uh, smorgasbord of what's available. <laughs> so um, all the more reason to go out there and discover stuff for yourself. Now, if you did enjoy it, please do let us know via the usual pathways that are, Chris. The best place to go is www.thatclassicalpodcast.com mm-hmm. where you can find out all of the places you need to go. Otherwise, you can find us on Twitter at that classical. We're on Instagram, that classical insta. You can email us, that classical email at gmail.com. But uh, why don't you head over to iTunes and give us a five star review? That's the way we'd love that to was, hear from you most. Please, say please, Chris. Um, but also, uh, if you want to listen to any of the music we've played today, just head to our Spotify playlist uh, to type in that classical podcast and we should appear. Uh, so enjoy that, and we'll see you next time. See you next time. Bye. 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 Bye.